0: When I realized I could buy a multi-million dollar asset, easier probably than I can my primary principal residence because it's non-recourse debt. As you guys know, it's, it's guaranteed, it's not guaranteed. The bank secures it with the asset itself versus my personal balance sheet. And if that was After looking at, I mentioned before, when I was looking at businesses, and that's one of the reasons I never pulled the triggers because you always had to sign a personal note.
1: You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career.
2: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Azria Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and we have our co-host, Mike Delpreet. How are you today, Mike? Wonderful. Excited to be here. And this podcast is all about helping investors and empowering investors one property at a time. And today we have Randy Lane Gendelfer that's <laughs> going to be joining us today. And we're going to be talking about multifamily and multifamily syndications. Randy is an investor with Invest Arch Properties based out of Houston, Texas. He's a syndicator of 1,500 doors as a general partner, as a GP, and he has several thousand uh, doors as an LP investor. So he's coming with tons of experience and tons of knowledge as it pertains to multifamily. And the great thing about it is he transitioned from single family Over to multifamily. So, we're definitely going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about his transition from being a part time investor to a full time investor. So, Randy, welcome to the show, man. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Marcus. Mike, both of you, a pleasure for being here. And thanks so much for letting me join your podcast.
2: Thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure for you being here, Randy. So, let's kind of take it back, right? Let's go back to the beginning. Before you had thousands and thousands and thousands of doors who is Randy what did he do prior to real estate
0: I think that's a, a really good place to start just for your listening audience so Randy Langenderfer I'm based in Houston Texas as Marcus said president of vestar properties and I got started my journey really started with I was living in the Cleveland Ohio Market at the time 10 plus years ago when I really came to the realization I was working for a private equity firm and really concerned in the tail end of the great recession that I was going to lose a job. And I was uh, an executive making a decent income and just really came to the kind of the aha moment that you need to find a different source of income, Randy, and Mm -hmm. putting all your eggs in one basket. And that started a journey of really trying to find, I looked at, small businesses to buy, I looked at franchises, I was scouring everything and everything available to me to, to develop a second income while still working. And at that time, I had a brother-in-law who was a displaced exec for a large regional bank in the Cleveland, Ohio market, who I really love and respected, started flipping houses. Uh, he okay. had gone to Armando Montaleglo's school in California. and oh. Wow. South- big money to learn Armando's process, came back and said, you got to you gotta join this with me. And I remember looking him in the eye and go, I'm a finance guy by trade, background, finance, <laughs> CPA, MBA. And I'm going, you're stinking crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he told me I should use my IRA. And I said he was even more crazy. Oh, uh, wow. Because- as a finance person, you're generally risk-averse. And so anyhow, to make yep. a long story short, I ended up proceeding with him and we started flipping houses, living in Cleveland, Ohio, flipping markets, flipping houses in date Miami County, Florida. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, we had aligned with a group there that was uh, actually doing the, the boots on the ground, finding the houses. We, we were the hard money lenders is the short answer. We were hard money lenders okay. in this group. And so we had done... Several flips, 10 plus flips down there successfully. And about that time, as I indicated, my my job opportunity was winding down working for a private equity company. And I knew I was, I, I started looking for a job before I got displaced and landed in Houston, Texas.
1: Wow. Okay. So real quick, so this was a big jump there. So one, when you're saying, hey, he brought the idea of fixing and flipping Armando, HGTV, all this stuff that you see yep. right? crazy. In my head, then I was like, in Cleveland, that must have been another crazy, but you switched it and said Florida. So you never flipped a house, and all of a sudden you flipped 10 houses in Florida. So how did that work? Well, as I
0: said, my my brother-in-law at the time, still my brother-in-law, I'm sorry. My brother-in-law had, had at Armando School had partnered or made contact with this group out of South Florida, Dade County, that was flipping houses and needed money. Oh, so our, okay. Our, our money. Okay. Our, they were they were had already been in business and had been flipping houses and and needing money very simply. And so okay. neither one of us were the type of type of guys that are going to be pound swinging hammers, I'll say, if I can be honest, mm-hmm. not my gift. and but we were happy to learn the process. and so we got really involved in, as you guys know, looking at the okay. comps, looking at the markets, looking at the re- after repair market value and studying this group. And we partnered with them on, on many of them. And like I said, that was the intro into it and got the fever and all the juices going.
2: Okay. So, so Randy, did you start with your IRA? Cause you told, you said your brother-in-law was like, man, you're freaking crazy. I'm not doing this, but it seems like he convinced you or you was able to put some numbers to a spreadsheet and figured out, Hey, you know what? This is not a bad idea.
0: I think you're absolutely right, Marcus. I'm that analytical guy, so yep. it's about risk mitigation. So yeah, once I was able to get my head around the numbers and the process and how much we buying it for it and studying all the comps and really spending a lot of time at it, actually traveling yeah. to South Florida to see some of the projects themselves, seeing the flips, seeing the markets, seeing the group, meeting the group. It, it was only after all that, and did I really decide to invest? And then, yes, I, I did start out using my IRA money, okay. transferring it to a self-directed IRA from okay. some of my previous employers and never looked Perfect. back. Perfect. So did you guys, so what was your
2: transition after you did those 10 plus deals down in South Florida? What was the next step? Cause I'm trying to lay the foundation for our listeners.
0: That's a valid question. So, when I was still doing that, as I said, that's when I relocated to Houston, Texas for my what I'll call my day job. Okay. Uh, so, I was still doing that. And when I came to Houston, I got really excited about wow, from Cleveland, Ohio to the fourth largest metro in the U.S. Uh, I got real excited about the opportunity of being able to ramp up my business mm-hmm. in Texas of being a hard money lender and came down here and on. Work and I was living alone. My wife was as we were transitioning. She was still in Cleveland, so I was here for about six months on my own. <clears throat> and I went to every real estate group you could imagine. Okay. Every REI group. I, I mean, I googled them on the line, and there were like 13 different ones at that time, just in Houston, Texas. And I I went to them all. I was just okay. Head in all in the process, and started attending those real estate groups. And that's when I I did do some flips, some hard money lends here in Houston. When I first came down, I started meeting people, networking, met a couple of people that were, had been using hard money lenders and had a successful track record. And so key elements of my uh, investment Mm -hmm. criteria. And, but then I I basically attended a lifestyles conference here in Houston, Texas. Lifestyles is one of the large uh, educational groups Okay. And I attended their I attended their freebie sessions at first to start out with, and then I went to their paid session, their weekend session, where they did uh, single family on mon- on Saturday and multifamily on Sunday. And it wasn't really until I attended uh, a conference here in Houston on multifamily that I heard then Brad Sumrock, who's another big inter- oh, yeah, I know Brad yep. National National Education Group, speak. And he really went into a lot deeper on the on the value proposition for multi-family versus single-family, and that's when I remember he had three back-to-back sessions, and I went okay. to the first one, and I ended up sitting in the second one just to repeat it because I'm a slow learner and uh, <laughs> absorb it, let it all soak <laughs> in, right? I mean, it was resonating with me. I'm sure you guys have had that feeling when mm-hmm. and it just it just resonates with you. and You say, "I want to hear this." And, so it was just the first aha moment for me was when I realized I could buy a multi-million dollar asset easier probably than I can my primary principal residence because it's non-recourse debt. Right. As you guys know, it's it's guaranteed, it's not guaranteed. The bank secures it with the asset itself versus my personal balance sheet. Right. And that was. After looking at, I mentioned before, when I was looking at businesses, and that's one of the reasons I never pulled the triggers because you always had to sign a personal note guaranteeing mm-hmm. the loan. So if the loan were to default, they could come after my house, my my cars, my yeah, you're on the hook. other assets. And I was just not willing to do that. And I would encourage no one else to do that as well on your listening audience.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so you got into, so you basically, your brother-in-law gave you the real estate bug you got that itch right and you started doing the hard money lending and the flipping and everything like that tell us about this 1st multifamily real estate deal how did that transpire because you're used to just lending money on deals not actually doing commercial deals
0: <laughs> that's another whole podcast in and of itself but i'm to try to <laughs> I'll give you the I'll give you the short version here attempt to so I was attending at the time the Sumrock group and since then I've transitioned I'm in I've been in lifestyle Sumrock and now I'm in Rod Khalif's mastermind group and the coach but at the time I was attending the Sumrock group and you know I remember going to these networking sessions and I say how does how does somebody find a deal where do you, where do you find these deals and they say you know just hang around and talk to people and so I had I probably attended for I don't know a couple sessions and Found a guy that uh, the old adage that I know liked and trust. He was a similar guy just for me, just left the corporate world and had found his first multifamily property. It was, this was 2018 in lovely Beaumont, Texas. And so, for anybody here listening, okay. friends, Beaumont is about 110 miles due east of Houston on I 10. It's a very blue collar community of about 200,000, maybe 250. And very blue collar, heavily petrochemical related with all the refineries along the coastline in in Houston. I didn't know anything about Beaumont. I drove out there. Uh, I'm sorry, Beaumont, Texas. Yeah, this one was actually in Port Arthur. It's next to Beaumont. Next to Beaumont, yeah. Beaumont was my first general partnership. Port Arthur was my first limited partner. And the gentleman that I invested in was this was a 225-unit property that was basically had been sitting vacant for several years. A developer bought it, refurbished it all, and uh, was leasing it up. It was about 70% leased at the time. And so the play was really to acquire it, lease it up 90%, refinance, Mm -hmm. take a bunch of money out, live happily ever after. And so it's where the story gets really interesting. So after eighteen months, we did refinance it. We got sixty percent of our money back as investors. And I'm kind of this is 2018 wow. again. I'm kind of pounding my chest, thinking I'm a pretty smart guy. And then we followed by followed by fraud, a flood, oh, wow. and a fire. And so <laughs> the three F's as I call them. So right, right. We found the property manager was committing fraud and increasing their or overstating, I should say, tenant occupancy. And uh, so the general partner who I had known at the time and still know today is a good friend. He fired the property managers, got some takeover and some stronger property management in there mm-hmm. in way to be hit by um, Hurricane Harvey, uh, which wow. we were along the Gulf Coast and put three feet of water in all the first floor units. So everything had to be vacated. And you guys know that drill. uh, We had insurance for it, thankfully. But you know that's a very lengthy process. Lengthy process.
2: You (laughs) had all of
0: those displaced tenants. All those displaced tenants and all those things to be dealt with.
2: Mm -hmm. So what did you, because I know that was a big step for you, right? Because
1: There's one more F. There, oh, there was. There,
0: there was a flood. Slow down. We, we, we yeah. recovered from the flat flood pretty much and started, we redid all the units, started to lease them up. And very regrettably, we had a fire in the property then. That was probably, I don't know, 2019, 2020, whatever. Um, Man. And we were very regrettably, three young children died in the fire. Oh, wow. Here's another hard lesson for investors. The mother left three young children home alone, went out for the night. They died and she sued us. Wow. How did the fire start? Don't recall. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't in her unit, but it took out, I think, 25 or 30 units of the 225. So it didn't took out one building, which was terrible, but yeah. so loss of life is just devastating. Yeah. Wow. And then only so, in America, she sued us. Wow. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's that's on her negligence. <laughs> so what was, and just out of curiosity, what was the basis of, of the lawsuit?
0: Somebody died. Somebody has to pay. I mean, very, very candidly, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be insensitive, but mm-hmm. that's really the basis of the lawsuit is somebody died and so somebody has to pay. Right. And right. she didn't have any money, so...
2: So That's I know, right. I know. like I was saying, that was that was a big step for you, right? Because you're used to being a hard money lender where you're giving the money out to investors and seeing the product. Now it's you giving the money to a general partner saying, okay, I want to see my return. Did you learn during that? Pro- what did you learn during that process oh, of man. being a limiting
1: partner? Man, he, he could
2: write
0: a book on that building. I, I, yeah. I got my honorary PhD in investing. <laughs> yeah. Okay so yeah you're right a hard money you know you're, you're generally seeing your return in six months maybe nine months yeah. if it's a bad deal or a long deal but yeah so we waited 18 months to get a refinance and so i guess i would say i i felt comfortable with it only because i had studied it enough and that's that's another key takeaway for your listening audience is educate yourselves that's how you mitigate any risk is to education and study it and i really trusted the guy that was the general partner Mm -hmm. He he is, he he was, and is a class act today. Fast forward, we got out of that deal after six years, just last year and four years, I guess it is. We got all of our money back, but we didn't make anything in return. Wow. Wow. But this is the guy that put over a half million dollars of his own money in the project to keep it afloat. And I don't know that he got all of his money back, but he put the limited partners first. Mm Mm-hmm. So you don't know that going into a project, but as a limited partner, you know, I will invest with this guy whenever he sends me something again, because.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because he, yeah. he showed you that, you know, the limited partners are first. If anybody's going to take a loss, me as the general partner, I'm going to take a loss
0: and my investors are going to be, be be made whole. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the way it should be. So kudos to him. And yeah. mm-hmm. he's out there is listening. I still respect him, like him. So, yeah. So how did, how did you make the transition
2: to become a GP yourself now? Because right. That was, you went through that, through that, through that situation from 2016 or whatever to 2018. Now it's 2023. We went through, you know, COVID, everything like that. How did you become confident and build a team to be a GP? Because it's not just having the money, but it's going out, finding the deals, making sure you got the right uh, contractors, um, everything like that. So how did how did you do that?
0: Yeah, I think I don't have I don't say everybody's career and real estate investing is a little different, but I would say I think mine is fairly straightforward where I had invested invested in several limited partnerships before I ever invested in a as a GP because I can conti- and excuse me, I said I invested in 2018 in Port Arthur. It was 2014. And we got okay. out of it to 20. So in that time period I had really continued to educate myself, networked, and just saw, I'll just be candid, the the lucrative nature of being a general partner with the override percentage and stuff in there that it's just very lucrative. It's a lot of work, but it's a whole lot less work than single family, uh, hard money Mm -hmm. lending in my mind, where you're turning it over every six to nine months. Six to nine nine months. scale, Scale there just takes a lot, a lot of effort. And when I did my first LP effort, investment in Port Arthur, Texas in 2014. I did it again through my IRA and I was such a chicken that I I partnered with a buddy to form a trust. So we put in, he put in 25K because I was really testing the waters just to make sure that we were, this was a sound principle. So step-by-step answer to your question is step-by-step incremental improvement and trying to understand educate myself with mentoring right okay and trying to network with people to lessen your risk along the way along with your education and and it really really as you guys both know it's finding somebody you just trust right it's finding somebody you trust so that that lp i know you said that you put the money in a
2: trust was it he put 25 and you put 25 or okay yes sir Okay, so you guys went in 50K on that first on that first uh, now, property for, in Port Arthur. Port Arthur.
0: And so we did that through, I mean, for those who are listening, I mean, that can be done through, uh, I use, there's, there's a large um, self-directed IRA firm here in Houston called Quest Company. There's another one in Cleveland, Ohio called Equity Trust. There's a really big ones. And, and for your listening audience, that's an easier way to get in too, with less dollar commitment. Okay. All you right. can also form a partnership. You could form an LLC if you wanted to. To do it. Okay. Now tell us about your
2: being a GP, right? How did you find that deal? Was it through, well, naturally I'm believing it was through brokers, but building those broker relationships. But how did you build your team to where you had the confidence to go out and be a GP?
0: So between 2014, I became a GP first in 2018. That's where I confused the dates. I don't know how many I invested in, but I had invested in several. And uh, a couple of them sold quickly and were extremely profitable, furthering the, uh, the, I'll call it the desire for more. And I found that first one really just it just old-fashioned networking conferences, meetups, and ended up finding a group of guys that were also, you know, they they had, they actually had identified this deal. this This first deal that I was a GP on was in Beaumont, Texas first okay. LP was in Port Arthur. That's why I confused those two. The first GP deal was in Beaumont, Texas, that I described. And this was 2000, and I think it was when we did the first Beaumont deal. So the way you find those deals is just old-fashioned networking. And it becomes, what do you have to offer the group? Um, Maybe you're an underwriter. Maybe you're a marketing okay. person. Maybe you got a large balance sheet that you can KP or do something on. But it really just becomes, what do you have to offer the group? And through those large educational groups, you're going to get contacts of SEC attorneys and brokers and property management companies, et cetera, et cetera, that you can leverage as well in your growth. Today, though, in 2023, so much of that stuff is available through podcasts like yours and meetups that investors can go to and really leverage those as well at very low cost.
1: So we've talked a lot about LP, GP. When it comes as an LP, like when you're invest looking to invest in other projects, what are some due diligence processes you go through to understand if this is a fund that you want to invest in? That's a great question,
0: Mike, As I put on my LP hat, and I still do this today. As assets turnover, I, I will invest limitedly as forever. I just am convinced on the, the asset class, but- I talk about this other things too. Of, I think all limited partners should develop their own investment strategy. And, okay. and I encourage my students to stuff to actually write it down so you don't get distracted, especially when you're starting because it's so easy to get um, diverted with what I call the shiny object syndrome. I'm sure you guys have heard of it where you get an email that says 25% IRR. mm mm-hmm five five x equity multiplier in six months or whatever something like that right but it's so easy to get diverted and if you don't when you're starting out and uh, i said i coach people to put it on what markets you're looking at and the kind of investments you'd be willing to take so and this is what i have refined over the years when i started out it was simply i i knew the guy very well and i trusted his judgment i had reviewed some of the underwriting but so it's education developing that strategy. And, and again, write it down. What kind of markets are you looking at? So today when I, I I'm focused on the Sunbelt areas, like a lot of people across the U S mm-hmm. so if somebody sends me a property in Wichita, Kansas, I don't care if it's got a 50% IRR, I'm, right. I'm not going to look at it today. Or if I get an email, I mean, the other one is at somebody that I have my investment criteria is I really have to know the sponsorship group and their track record. Mm -hmm. So again, you get that email from somebody in Wichita, Kansas, that sounds great, but I don't know the market and I don't know the group. Those are two big strikes for me. I just, I simply won't invest. Maybe I know the group, the sponsorship group, but I don't know the market. I may look at it for a little bit, right? but I guess the first criteria is I look for markets. I understand sponsorship groups. I trust and like, and have a proven track record, have a proven track record that I'm aware of. And then it's like I said, I was, I've was i been a GP recently in Tucson. So I was asked to join a group to, to invest there as a general partner. And I don't know about everybody, but I get on a plane and I go to Tucson. I, I look at all the comps and I travel the market and meet the property management company and some brokers while you're in town and, and try to get a, a grasp of the local submarket itself. I did that when I was even an LP investor at first. I don't do it a lot anymore because I've got a group of sponsors that I'm worked with a lot and I right, trust that them. you so work with mm-hmm. as an LP I would say develop your strategy and I would put in there the submarket, the sponsorship groups knowing them and what types of returns you're looking for gotcha. <laughs> I ask okay. that people all the time i was just going to say some people want yield did you know yeah and other people are looking for the large kicker at the end when it sells
1: so, so speaking of those people looking for those returns what are some tips maybe you can provide for our listeners? Cause you need money to do deals, right? So any raising capital uh, tips that you can share? I was going to give
0: you a smart aleck answer, but I want to go. Raising capital is, is, uh, is one I've really focused on in the last couple of years of really trying to, you know, and, and I first thought I'm a corporate guy. I work behind the scenes. I'm a numbers guy, man. Asking people for money just isn't my gig. But when I got my head out of my rear on that and said, you can do this and started just doing it, it's Mm -hmm. about developing a brand. It's about developing opportunities, developing a little bit of history. And then just so today I'm out there fast forwarding today on capital raising. I'm on all the, not all the social media, LinkedIn and Facebook primarily. I'm posting several times a week. I like to appear on podcasts to further my brand. Um, uh, okay. Speaking engagements, wherever I can find them. So the funnel at the top is many of those, as well as partnering with other people. But at the end of the day, to be a capital raiser, you have to have success, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, got to have that track record. You got to have that track record. And that's getting more and more difficult, as we all know in our markets today.
2: Isn't mm-hmm. it? So speaking of some of the difficulties in the market, Randy, what are you seeing up on the horizon, right? We're seeing everything on CNBC. We're seeing everything on Fox Business News about commercial real estate, and a lot of it is geared towards office space, but yet large multifamily is starting to kind of get sucked into that loop of, hey, we have mortgage interest rates that's about to reset and adjust. We have large multifamily investors that's turning over keys. To the banks, they're doing more capital calls. Kind of what are you seeing
0: on the horizon in the industry? If I had the answers to all those questions, I'd be on the talking circuit and making a lot of money. But I think one guy's opinion is you hit it all right in the head. But I think anybody that did a deal, and, and I've done a couple of them in 2020, 21 or 22, uh, always did, always, you had to do variable rate debt at the time. And a lot of it is just timing in the market cycle. I'm in a lot of deals that are. Prior to that, some in that time period, in that period, 2021 20, and 22 is just all going to be laden with variable debt that's coming due for either a rate cap rate cap renewal and an extension of the bridge loan or trying to find refinancing opportunities or sale opportunities. So it's going to be there's going to be some bloodletting in the industry. And regrettably, there are deals that are going to go south. Uh, I I can I don't know any longer that it's a blemish on somebody's record if they have one because it goes bad because I can name a couple operators here in Houston that are great, great operators. Mm I had to turn the keys over to the bank recently just because the debt is overwhelming. And it's very difficult to make capital calls these days. You got to have a very articulate vision of how investors are going to get their money back And have that human capital build up where they trust you, that you can perform Mm -hmm. on it. So very difficult to make capital calls. I have not had to make one yet, but it will have to next year just because of the rate cap renewal. But, you know, everything I'm Mm -hmm. told is if you want to raise a buck, think you're going to only probably get 40, 50% of that dollar, and it's going to take you a lot longer to get it. So... I don't think that the market has a way of cleansing itself and weeding out some bad operators, but I think that's also going to be opportunities for the future, Mm -hmm. Right, areas where there's going to be properties coming online that are A minus B plus that you never thought you could get if you got the right relationships with brokers. So with every downturn, there's a opportunity as well that investors Mm -hmm. need to look at. So this is the time when your passive investors should be cultivating relationships with general partners and understanding what their view of because everybody's view is going to be a little bit different. yeah
2: okay, key, very key. So Randy,
0: kind of wrapping up here,
2: man, how can we if somebody's looking to invest and they want to say, hey, you know what, let me do my due diligence about Randy before I, you know make a call or look into working with him. Where can we go to find you? Where can we go to follow you? I know say
0: Facebook and LinkedIn. Give Give us your uh, URLs. It's Randy. Randy Langender for Langenderfer. L A N G E N D E R F E R, and I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes. Those links yep. uh, for Facebook and and LinkedIn. Also my website www invest i n v e s t hyphen a r k invest hyphen a r k It's got a contact me page on there. Love to chat with. With anybody, if they have an interest about anything real estate wise, and those okay. are the easiest ways. And you know, I just really appreciate you guys having me this afternoon. Yeah, thank you for
2: being here. Yeah, thank you for being here, Randy. You brought a lot of insight to what's going on in the market as far as commercial real estate. So you guys know exactly what to do. Our listeners here along the Western Seaboard and across the nation uh feel free to reach out to Randy. Get additional information from Randy. Uh, in regards to commercial investing and please let me and Mike know how we're doing on a podcast by giving us a rating or a review and then all of the detailed information is down in the show notes and feel free to become a part of the family or feel free to come as a guest and see who we are and get affiliated with us so thank you so much for being wonderful listeners and a wonderful audience and thank you Randy so much for being a great guest man well, it's my pleasure.
0: Next time I'm in Phoenix, sir, I'm going to try to get to your your meetup. So yep, give us a call. They may show up there. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Because we have a branch down in Tucson too.
2: So if you need additional information about the Tucson market, that'd be a great time for you to look us up and see what we can do for you. Look forward to it,
0: guys. Thanks so much. Thank All you. right. Thank you. Have a good one.
1: Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delprete. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.